1: Saying to him, I, th- I think um, I'm not going to do anything silly. But I, I, my worst fear is I could live another 30 years and and have no purpose, have no legacy. I don't need success. I just need to achieve what God had put on my heart and to see His will done, you know, personally and in the ministry. But he reaches into his drawer of his his desk and pulls out a pocket New Testament and starts reading me verses about the love of God. He said, "This is all you've got." This is all you can climb.
2: I'm here with Morgan Lee. You're the you're one of the co-hosts of Quick to Listen, the other Christianity Today podcast. Check it out if you haven't already. Listeners.
3: The better Christianity Today podcast.
2: This week we, you're having a podcast about uh about politics we try and be sparing about how many of these podcasts about politics we have in this campaign season because it's easy to think like politics is the big issue right
3: yeah or the issue and especially since the narratives coming out of this election season may feel far-fetched or historic as yesterday when hillary rodham clinton was named the first female
2: yeah big historic moment big historic moment so you're gonna talk about clinton Indeed, we will. All right. So other than that, what are you working on this week? It's 100% week at CT.
3: It is. But actually, a lot of the stuff that I'm working on is about the Olympics. Okay. I'm working with my colleague, Kate Shellnott on figuring out how we're going to be covering the Olympics, which will kick off next week, Friday.
2: That's exciting. Is that for online? That is for online. Oh, that makes me happy.
3: Exactly. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Yesterday, I went through a list of 102 potential Olympians and looked for... Any background on their faith. And I read a lot of encouraging stories, and there's just some really, really remarkable people out there. I think Sweet. of one of the triathlon athletes. She actually met her husband when he was a professional bicyclist, and he quit his job so that he could run her career. And help her along the way. And that was just a really encouraging look at marriage and their partnership.
2: That's awesome. I, I did want to point out that it is 100% week, so that means that the, the print magazine is closing out.
3: 100% is referring to the number of deadlines that we have this week and that we need to finish the 100% issue.
2: 100% of deadlines?
3: I don't know. I've never, I, no you just one ever made that up.
2: This
3: it. Well, it means the
2: magazine has to be at 100%. It has to be 100% complete. You
3: have to keep it 100
2: I assume that's what it means. Or make it 100. I mean, I don't know. I'm from from the new school, not the old school of print. But the really noteworthy thing is you have a cover article that has a very good cover illustration. I'm excited to read it.
3: It's true. So if you're interested in reading my cover story, it will be about evangelicals and their response to the issue of mass incarceration and the work that they've been doing on criminal justice reform. You can still subscribe to that right now and you will be eligible to get this issue. This is our September issue that will be coming out in the middle of August.
2: Yeah, so you can subscribe now. We actually have a special deal for The Calling listeners. It is, just go to orderct.com slash calling, and you'll get a year-long subscription for our lowest rate. That's $10. That's 10 issues that you'll get plus access online to archives going all the way back to 1956. You'll get honest yet redemptive or redemptive yet honest, which we put and first.
3: And is actually the correct co-joiner.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know. So the copy I have says yeah.
3: I always change it to and because I don't know why they're in tension with each other.
2: Like sometimes you want to make something redemptive. And so you're like have to be less honest about it. You know, oh, things are so great.
3: That's not redemptive though. To me, redemptive, the word redemptive means that something died. That something, that there is a particular sense of darkness that was there. In order for something to be redeemed, it's not like it was good all along. And you must acknowledge that darkness.
2: Okay, well, these are kind of the conversations we have around the halls of Like, you can't have
3: redemption without honesty.
2: Yeah, that's good. Okay, so today's episode of The Calling is with Steve Addison. He leads MOVE, M O V E, which is a mission agency dedicated to multiplying disciples and churches everywhere.
3: Does this guy have an Australian accent? He does. Yes.
2: Yeah, he does have an Australian accent, and he goes all over the world basically helping churches multiply. Very passionate guy.
3: Is it fair to call him a missionary or uh, a missionary sure. to missionaries?
2: I would definitely, at least that, yeah, yeah. He does missions work. He talks a lot about. Um, So he's an introvert, and so this stuff doesn't come naturally to him, but he talks a lot about stepping out of his comfort zone. The most interesting thing I think we talked about was a sort of six-month crisis he had in his life where he, he actually does suffer from depression, and there was a point where it got a little too much to handle, and so he had to sort of take a step back. He had to talk to his church about that, and he had to work some things out with his psychiatrist. He talks in particular about the moment that he became that he things started to turn around the sort of truth that helped him to work that out
3: you know i always appreciate when people who are globe trotting and have their fingers in lots of different projects also talk about times where they just felt really debilitated and yeah. weak yeah and how they coped with that well to me it sounds like something that is both redemptive and honest
2: yeah it was a redemptive and honest interview for sure here it is steve addison Where are you from? You have an accent. It's not yeah. American.
1: Yes, I I live in the UK, but I'm from Australia. So born okay. and bred Australian. Which do you prefer between those two? Prefer? Well, I'm an
2: Australian,
1: so um, you prefer. Pref- you have
2: to prefer Australia yes, if you're from but, there. But
1: but England is our home right okay. now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
2: Are you, like, a big fan of the queen? I'm asking, like, dumb yeah. American. Yeah, I'm just I letting am. myself ask yeah. dumb American questions. She,
1: she has been an amazing leader, I think, a, a, a spiritual leader, huh. a Christian leader wow. for really the whole course of her life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back in 1999, we, we we had a referendum in Australia, and overwhelmingly, Australian people want her to to rule over us. So she's still really? the queen of Australia. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's we awesome. love her. And... Uh, you know, I have been so impressed at um, you know, especially if you you look back to some of her Christmas messages messages they'll be on YouTube, how she weaves the gospel into um, you know what what still needs to be something for all of her subjects, and she's really
2: respected by even people who who are Republicans, both in Australia and in Britain. That's fascinating. I could talk forever about the Queen. I feel like, but I'm not going to do that. So when you come to the states. How, many, how often do you do that? Oh, a couple of times
1: a year. Okay. Our focus at the moment is Britain, and, and uh, we've been there two years. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, I like to partner with guys here, so I don't just come to speak, but I'm, I'm looking to – I've got some partners here in the U.S. who do what we do. Uh, can we get together? So I'm not just speaking at an event, yeah. but um, helping to connect them for follow-up in the work that we do. And also just getting the time with other other people with a similar heart.
2: So I'll come for those purposes. So we always start the podcast with a particular question, which is, how would you describe or define your calling? My calling is to uh, multiply disciples and churches everywhere. How did you come to realize that that was your calling?
1: Like, what was the moment that yeah. you realized that? Well, uh, I have to go back a long time. Sure. And uh my wife and I had planted our done our first church plant and it had gone well in the second year we had a big church fight and uh church
2: fire fight oh fight
1: yeah, we had a big church it's the fight. second
2: podcast I've done where there's been a f- fight yeah it' we, but not a literal fight fight yeah it, okay it,
1: no uh I had and, a
2: podcast where a guy had a literal fight,
1: okay, no. <laughs> And in that time, you know, God shook my life. He shook what I thought was my successful ministry. And he just called me back to himself. And I spent a lot of time uh, in prayer, seeking him in the word. Out of that experience where the best of my efforts was shaken, I mean, we had a church of over a couple of hundred within, within the first year. But I realized God wanted more than that. He wanted, he wanted to be his church, not mine. And he wanted my life back. Now, I wasn't sort of running from God, but there were mixed motivations. He just wanted to do something deeper in me. And so I just began seeking Him each, each day, time in prayer. And, and this was
2: desperation because it had really shaken me up personally. And, uh, you were at, the minister at this church? I was the church planter, yeah. Were you facing like unemployment at that point? No. No? No,
1: it's just, you were just kind if of. If you've been a leader and you're in the midst of a major conflict, right. Um, then it just, it just, Shakes you yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. So in actual reality, you know, the church wasn't gonna unravel. But that's not how you feel at the time. So as I sought the Lord and uh just found a fresh level of surrender and and handing over my life and ministry to him, I just one morning I was out in our garage, I had a little, little wood burner, a little potbelly stove I'd stoke up in the winter and just just be out there for a couple of hours early in the morning, praying, reading the word. And God just, God just spoke to my heart and said, Steve, it's not just one, one church. Um, you know, He put on my heart that we would see church planting movements across Australia and beyond. And that was a, a real, it, I don't know where it came from, but I, I know that call found me back in, uh, it was 1988. And, uh, so that's where the call began. And I've been pursuing it ever since, you know as a church planter, and then we planted again, and then into a role uh, with a mission agency that I came to lead in Australia, where we were serving and coaching church planters and helping with um, you know, denominational strategies. So I became a coach and a trainer and continued that. And then there was another moment where the call was severely tested about eight years ago. So for about 20 years, I'm doing this work. And just personally and in the ministry, I just realized, you know, that vision for movements and the vision I had for some some stuff to happen in my life and some of the challenges with uh, just on a personal level, uh, the wheels came off the wagon for me for about six months, uh, eight years ago. And um, I have a background with depression, but normally I can keep functioning and I manage it. Well, this is a point where you know the, the, you know the, the, the fuel gauge was on empty right. <laughs> and the yeah. car
2: was splattering
1: forward. Was that
2: tied to uh, anything that was happening? Really, it was
1: the buildup of uh, really years, both the, what's, what's happening in my body chemically, stage of life, all of that. But it really was, I think, to some degree, the fruit of unfulfilled dreams. Now, we can call it midlife crisis, but that doesn't make it any easier. You know, for six months. How old were you? I was, uh, yeah, I was about 50. Okay. But for about six months, you know, I had to go to my board and I said, look, I'm just not functioning and I, I, I need some help, but I'm still in the game. And they graciously said, Steve, take the time you need. And it took six months. Um, So I was just uh, getting some help from a Christian psychiatrist and really stepped out of ministry. for Maybe I was working on about a 5%
2: capacity at that time. It's amazing that you had people who who were understanding of that. Yes. That's a big deal.
1: And a turning point for me was a few months into this, and I'm saying to a very good Christian psychiatrist, uh, Rod Smith in Melbourne, and saying to him, I, th- I think in terms of legacy and purpose, I feel like my life's over. Now, a thousand people could have said to me who know me, that's ridiculous, but that wouldn't have made any difference because that was my reality. Said, I- and I'm, I'm looking for a bit of sympathy here because that's his job. And I'm saying, <laughs> I-, I, I think, um, I, I'm not going to do anything silly, but I, I, my worst fear is I could live another 30 years and, and and have no purpose, have no legacy. In terms of what, I don't need success, I just need to achieve what God had put on my heart and to see his will done, you know, personally and in the ministry. And rogers he looked at me and says, who guarantees you a legacy? Who guarantees you a purpose? Where's, where did you get that from? And then he, you know, he's, I'm I'm the sort of missionary, right? But he reaches into his, uh, opens his drawer of his his desk and pulls out a pocket New Testament and starts reading me verses about the love of God. He said, this is all you've got. This is all you can claim, (laughs) you know. And that was a turning point where I realized, okay, that's, this is my Job experience. I don't have answers. I don't have any you know, everyone would have said, Steve, you will have a legacy. Well, it wouldn't have mattered to me. I wouldn't have heard it. But here I am confronted with feeling like my, my life will achieve no lasting purpose as far as I can understand. So what have I got left? I've got the love of God. And I remember sort of walking, I was walking near, near home and just saying to the Lord, okay, if this is a deal, I've got to get up each day for the next, I might live another 30 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that time, I was getting through a day at a time. Previously, I was trying to get through an hour at a time. That's that's where I was at emotionally and, and psychologically. And I said, "Okay, Lord, if if that's the deal, I'm I'm up for it." Because Christ died a very real death, and He rose to life, came back physically, not just spiritually. He conquered this world. If I have that relationship with Him that lasts forever. Okay, maybe I won't understand the next 30 years. Maybe I don't feel in any of this the comfort or the the sympathy of God. All I know are those realities. Am I going to base my life on these things? And I'm not a giant here. I'm not some superstar, you know, uh, suffering in glory and stuff. I'm a broken man. So all I've got to bring to the Lord is, okay, Lord, if this is the deal, I'll just accept what you've given me in Christ. And it, I'm not, to, not overnight, but over the next few months, um, you know, it all turned around. Um, what do you
2: mean it all turned around?
1: Well, I think just gradually with some help of some, some good counseling, some, some medication to help gradually you know the the levels of depression start start lifting you start getting back to normality you know I had a a trip planned before all this happened I think it was like three continents five nations I had to go just connecting with people following up our workers in the field and all of that and I was terrified of doing that because in my State, you know, I was getting better, but I thought, you know, when you, you travel, I, I don't stay in hotels. I stay with people. So there's, there's nowhere to hide, you know. <laughs> and I talked to Rod right about it. And, uh, he said, you know, I, I just feel like maybe you should consider doing this. And I thought, wow, you know, okay. And it just, the conviction grew. I should be on it. Well, we were looking at shutting. We, we, Michelle and I, my wife and I lead a, a mission agency that, you know, multiplies disciples and churches where, wherever we can. And we're looking at closing that down. It's called Move. So the first visit, I'm in uh, China with a guy who, a couple who have seen multiplying movements in China, thousands of new believers, hundreds of new churches. Most of the people don't know his name because he's mentoring, he's led the key leaders to Christ and he's mentoring and they're doing the work. And he says to me, look, we haven't got a mission agency at the moment. We're, we're just sent out by a local church. We'd really like to join with you, Steve. And I say to him, uh, Grant, I'm, I'm done for, mate. I'm, this is my last hurrah. You know, I, I, well, you should try this organ- that organization. And he just looked at me and says, Steve, we like you, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and here I am, a man thinking he's going to close this yeah. organization down. He's going to stop this work that he's called to, and I've and, and, and someone knows all about that. And he's saying to me, Steve, we want to be part of what God's going to do through MOVE. And he came on board, and, and, and God just began building the team. The other key thing that happened is, and this is my insight, when you're a dead man, okay, when you've lost it all, not just the ministry side, but we were just sort of other challenge, personal challenges and stuff. Everything that comes back to you is a gift of God, and you're free. You know, so my I've written a book on movements. Six major publishers had knocked it back, and and I got to the right people who made it. It wasn't just sort of someone never read the manuscript. Right. And now, you know, we self-publish, and it's, it just takes off. This this and this was a dream of me to publish this book I've been working on in one way or another for about 20 years since yeah. that first call in the garage uh-huh, uh-huh. and it's as though this is a gift you know it can take off it cannot take off it's my identity I mean it's still to some degree tied into that the the writing and stuff but when it does I can see it as a gift of god a work of god cuz I remember where I was and then the other thing was, and I've learned something about when you need a major paradigm shift in your life and your calling. So I'm thinking in, in the scriptures, this would be Paul on the Damascus Road. You know, Jesus used a baseball bat there. <laughs> you know, it's like he shook him. And it wasn't just his conversion, it was his call. Or Peter, before he gets to Cornelius's house, that's 10 years since P- Pentecost. And he's not understanding about this whole movement of churches amongst uh, Gentiles who aren't, you know, aren't going to become Jews. And again, God shakes him. You know, it's not like Peter's been to Dundee Min or something or come read one of my books or <laughs> right. gone to seminary. You know, this is a work of God. Peter had to be shaken before he could see it. And this is what happen in my life, and I think it happens in other leaders' lives, not everyone, but many of them, where the byproduct of my unraveling was, you know, some months down the track, some missing pieces in what it takes to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. You know, that, that shift occurred with my wife Michelle, where she, she's, you know, the book has taken off, she says, you've written this great book, Steve. And that's when I, you know, you feel good when, as, a, as a man when your husband notices you, sorry, when your wife notices what you've achieved. Yeah. But this is also a scary moment in a man's life, and that's, that's when God speaks to him through his wife. And uh, she looked at me and said, but when are you going to do something? And I wish I could have been offended, but immediately I knew this is, this is God's word to me right now. Because the book had all the key principles from scripture, from practitioners around the world. There was nothing wrong with the book. And yet the missing piece as we tried to uh, apply those principles and train leaders in it, both in Australia and New Zealand, Europe, and occasionally in the US, is what to do on Monday morning. So everybody had these principles, but they didn't, they didn't, they weren't doing anything with them. And so I just went back to my book, well, where where do you get started? Well, we we go walking uh, out in the community looking for God-prepared people. And we live just a few minutes away from uh, sort of a large suburb in Melbourne called Box Hill where God has brought the nations. So you can find people from mainland China or Iran or South America, it's just packed with uh, people from around the world. And we just go out prayer walking, which is what I say to do in my book. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. finally. (laughs) Just just do what Jesus did. Go looking for a God-prepared person. Pray for a need. Share uh, something from, you know, a story from Scripture about Jesus or share your story or a gospel outline and look for God-prepared people. We just started doing that. The very first hour and a half we had to do that, we just, Michelle took me into a Chinese bookstore. Like, what are we going in here? We don't read Chinese. <laughs> the sales assistant wants to get to know us and just chases us around the store for the next half hour. And I come out of that store overwhelmed because we've found, in an hour and a half of prayer walking, a God prepared person. And a whole ministry opened up in Box Hill that Michelle led and I was on her team where we start connecting with people from all these different places around the world through English Conversation Club, but sharing up front with them by doing Discovery Bible so that was one of the ways they could learn conversational English. It wasn't an English-structured class. It was just, you've got some English, let's let's practice. And one of the ways we practice is let's let's look at this story uh, about Jesus or something in the Scripture and and talk about it. And as we found people who wanted to know more from the four corners of the earth, we'd, we'd catch up, we'd meet them some more. You know, we started seeing people come to know Christ. Mm-hmm. We hadn't done that in years, even though we're leading a mission agency. Why hadn't you done it, do you think? What kept I you from doing it? I believe the lie that the Great Commission was only given to extrovert evangelists. Huh, yeah. I'm I'm a guy who prays for an empty seat so I can read a book. because really the way God uses me, I I scour the world, I scour church history, I scour the scriptures for the key, you know, what are the key principles here that we see applied in movements that multiply disciples in church? That's what I do, and God uses that because I'm not pretending I'm, you know, an evangelist or a great this or that. I'm just, let me tell you a story of, you know, like today, what Jeff Sundell has done in, uh, in, in, in the U.S., across the U.S. Let me tell you what Leapock's done in nor- northern India. I know those stories. I've been to those places. And God uses that. But what he brought me back to is the Great Commission was given to every believer. You know, and, and that is this, the key command is go make disciples of the nations. That's the rock and but hanging off that and supporting it is you do that by going by baptizing and by teaching them to obey what Jesus commanded. And so we just started doing that. I'll tell you the first night of that English conversation club, I left early. I'm I'm an introvert big time. And I can in short bursts I do really well like right. this
2: interview. Yeah.
1: But typically, I, I want to be with books. I want to be with ideas. I want to be debriefing a leader who's on the front line and learning from them. But now, now God's saying, Steve, I'll just step out of your comfort zone. Why, why don't you just take a step of obedience? Right. And I thought I had to love God more or be closer to Jesus or he just had to do something to me. And he's just saying, Steve, you got enough. Why don't you just go and meet someone? offer to pray for a need in their life. And it's amazing how many people will will just say, yeah, would you pray for this? People I've just met or neighbors or family, and then just ask them, hey, right now in your life, are you near or far from God? And would you like to be near? And then to be able to share a story from scripture, like the woman who wept or Uh, to be able to share my story in two minutes or so, to be able to share a simple gospel outline like a thing called the three circle. And then knowing what to do next. So how do you help a new believer, a group of new believers, start following Jesus by reading the scriptures together in a discovery pattern? So all of these simple reproducing methods plus obedience. So all you've got is the living word of God that through which God created and sustains the universe. And you've got the Holy Spirit and your weak and trembling obedience. And we started seeing people come to know Christ, go into discipleship, and they're still following him now. And then right around Australia, I started training people in this. And wherever people are implementing, they began to see the same. It's not yet a multiplying movement, but all the signs, these are early signs, but everybody's saying, like you and you, Steve, and Michelle a little bit less so, we weren't getting out there with the gospel. We weren't seeing new believers. These are not just like I was converted in the youth group, okay, right, right. So, and so I value youth group and Sunday school conversions, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. but these are people far from God and far from any church. Yeah. We've gone out and found them. And I step back. So this is unfolding now from we'll have to close the thing down, the book will never get published, you know, it's over, Steve. Okay, Lord, if all I have is you, life with you for eternity because of Jesus' death and resurrection, I'll take that deal. And now it's coming back to me. And, but as a gift, you know, I'm no longer driven to succeed in these things. I might be tempted to still, but the power of that is broken. And the more I find myself in Christ, I find the more he trusts me with responsibility and fruit uh, in the ministry, and yet it's freeing
2: rather than driving me. Are you like a, a pastor in a local church right no, now? No,
1: Michelle and I lead a, you leave uh, the a mission Move. agency, MOVE, Okay.
2: and so we have
1: workers, Australians in, in Australia, uh, and we work a lot with churches by... Uh, we we lead by example, and then we take others out into the harvest and help them become people who multiply disciples and churches. So we're doing that in uh, Australia, in the South Pacific. Uh, we've got people in Thailand and in uh, North and South India. Uh, and we also have uh, what Michelle and I are based in Britain, and that's our major focus now, but we're also building a team of move workers Uh, in Britain, and as we consolidate and advance there,
0: we'll, we'll look to Europe. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter, during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma, grieve, breathe, receive, is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com/audio to learn more.
2: When did you actually decide to go into the ministry?
1: First step would have been when the first uh, we call them composition like a four-sentence story uh-huh. that I wrote in elementary school. Okay. And yeah. uh, my mate wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to be a minister. Huh. Well, part of the reason that my dad's a minister, yeah. former missionary minister, was till he's passed away. I, I was far from God till I was about uh, 17. But you wanted to be a minister before that. Even before that. Wow. And then... But my,
2: you're. But what's interesting to me is that you're you're clearly like an introvert. It wouldn't have yeah. been a natural... It seems like it wouldn't have been a natural fit on the face of it. Like, there are a lot of good ministers that are introverts.
1: You you sort of got to manage yourself, okay? Because introvert. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think God can use all. It all
2: just seems. Different it seems like yeah. it's a it's a person oriented thing. You have to interact yeah. with people. Well, I think it seems like it would be a yeah, challenge on the, the face the, of it.
1: The call that God's given me is to be in the world of ideas but not an abstract academic. I read those guys. So I'm mining the scriptures for lessons and principles about how we see the great commission fulfilled. So there's part of me, you know, if I'm any I'm just longing. I just want to get into the next book uh, and wrestle with that. Then I'm 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 formulate because I want those then to make sense. So I'm not an abstract New Testament guy, but I've read Eckhard Schnabel's multiple volumes, thousands of, he's got a thousand page um, commentary on Acts, it's just pure gold to me, you know, most of my guys in the field aren't going to read a thousand page commentary on Acts. But I stand between guys like Eckhard Schnabel in terms of um, New Testament and missions history. Then I've got other guys around the world like a Nathan Shank up in North India that has seen multiplying movements of thousands, probably tens of thousands of, of new disciples and churches. I'm going I'm to travel there for a week and learn everything I can from Nathan, from his guys, Park and Kumar. They're going to be my teachers because most of the people I interact with by writing or speaking or face to face, they can't go there for a week. And then, and Nathan's too busy. I want him to write, you know, but he's too busy. So I'm, I'm going to put that into a book or a, a major section of a book in partnership with Nathan. I'm going to write that up and get that message out. So God's given me enough of the introvert to do that stuff. But he's also given me enough of the people skills that I can connect one on one or even in a large auditorium or or a smaller training environment. And I've got energy in spurts to say, this is what we're learning. This is what God's doing. Um,
2: Do you have to cope in certain ways?
1: Yeah, I've got to build in margin. Yeah. So after an energy burst, like, you know, we're at a big conference here with thousands of people, and it's just morning, afternoon, and night. Right. Uh, and I'm sharing a room with a guy who snores, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going to build in a block of time. I'm going to say no to opportunities when I get back home to right. the UK. A good opportunities because I know I'm going to need those three, four days buffer just yeah. to to do this. So I've learned, you know, it right. took me a long time, yeah. Uh, but I've learned to manage how God's wired me, and to realize, you know, a, a challenge for me like depression. Is uh, sure at times it it feels like a curse. It's not nothing like in eight years. You know I haven't gone back to that place. But a cu- over the course of my life, you feel like this is in one sense a curse. In another sense, my weakness brought me to Christ. Uh, my weakness brought me to that point of surrender to the Lord Jesus. Um, so I'm I'm. It's this earthen vessel, you know, old clay, cracked pot. Paul says. But we have the treasure of the gospel in it. So as God uses me in different ways, I'm just there, and I've got, I have I don't need to hide. I, I'm happy to tell anyone I want that I've had a lifelong stra- struggle with depression. And so far, you know, God has helped me grow. He's strengthened me through that. He hasn't, you know, bang, healed me of that, but he has strengthened me. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of it anymore, and I'm not bound by it. And, and part of that in, you know, that tendency towards, you know, depression is also, you know, a sign, Steve, you've been given out too much. You need to be, you know, my favorite place in the world is a, is a library. <laughs> you know? But I, I just manage how God has wired me. You know,
2: it's great later in life to be sort of feeling like, yeah, I think I'm getting this right. It's kind of nice. If you've got this built, built in. I mean, It's a horrible mechanism, but it's a built-in mechanism that causes you to sort of retreat from these person-oriented things to the more intellectual things that makes you like uniquely who you are. Yeah, and it it is awful,
1: but uh, you know, anyone listening to us now, overwhelming majority of them, they'll at some way they're walking with a limp. You know, they're facing a health crisis, or one of their kids or grandchildren, or financial, you know, these things come to us. God hasn't raptured us out of this world. And they are things to be fought against. They are sometimes harmful and evil things that we're battling. You know, there's a diabolical side to depression that is evil. doesn't come from me. It's coming from outside. But at the same time, God uses our weaknesses to reveal his strength and his glory, and that's a
2: constant for us all. We have a global audience, but most of our listeners are American. And as someone who works all over the world with individual mm-hmm. pastors, I guess on an anecdotal level, what would you say is the thing that American pastors or just church leaders or even just people in churches in America could learn from pastors across the world?
1: The wonderful thing is we can, they can learn from across the world, you know. And, and see that the same principles in Scripture are, are true down through the ages and cross-culturally. And one of the things is even if you don't have the resources, even if you don't have the formal education, the gospel works. Hmm. The gospel transforms life. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus sent his first disciples out. All they had was the living word of God and the Holy Spirit married to their their obedience so what we're doing and as good guys uh you know in the no place left network in the u.s here they're the guys i partner with and they're just well what can we learn from what god's doing globally what can we learn how will that help us see in a fresh way the patterns of making disciples and forming new churches in scripture and the guys that are willing, instead of just coming with their American cultural mindset, mm-hmm. they're willing to learn from a Leapock up, up in India and Nepal or what we're seeing happen in the South Pacific. But they're not looking for programs and, and you know, you can come up with programs, but they're looking for principles that we, that are helping us see afresh what Jesus did and what he trained the 12 and others to do. Where that's happening... We're, we're seeing life breathed in to churches in, a, in, in the U.S. that are capturing again what does it mean to be the people of God on mission. And they're beginning to see the early signs of movements of multiplying disciples and churches. And it's a wonderful thing. And then they'll look at their own history and say, well, this is just what God did during those early years of the U.S. frontier where we saw multiplying movements. Uh, and it's a way of being renewed as a church here in the U.S. that God has not finished with America, very much so.
2: Maybe this is just me, but it seems like in America right now, there's like a series of cultural challenges in the political sphere, in the cultural sphere. There's like uh, what some people are calling like a new civil rights movement. There's a rise of like pluralism in general. People are less apt to go to church just for the sake of it. People are less apt to be cultural Christians. Is that something that you've seen in other places, sort of play out? It's
1: a different, but worse in 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 Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. Sure, uh, America does have a more vibrant uh, evangelical heritage, and um, uh, so it is in some sense global. But we've just we, we you know, the, when when Luke writes the book of Acts, it's it's structured around. Uh, these summary statements, and every now and then he drops in this crazy uh, way of talking about the advance. He says, and the word of God grew, the word of God spread, the word of God multiplied. And he's saying, and he's picking up a lot of themes out of Isaiah, and Isaiah's picking up themes from Genesis 1. That this same Word of God that, that is the dynamic force that, that created the universe. It's, it's the living Lord Jesus, you know, as, as, as the Word. That this is the driving force of the advance of the Gospel. You start with the living Word. You start with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's sort of ahead of the game on social trends. Part of the problem, say, in Europe or Britain where I live, why no one is coming to Christ, is is believers have lost their confidence in the gospel. Now, it's not just the U.S. context. I like to say which U.S. context. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand of them. You know, there's thousands of there's Kurdish communities. There's, there's Nepali communities. There, there, there are minority-majority cities now where the majority of people in the city are ethnic minorities. Um, So there's multiple contexts. Okay, So we need the people thinking about those. But we actually even more need the people who are doing what Jesus did. Let's connect face-to-face, offer prayer, share a story, uh, invite to discipleship, start teaching a disciple how to obey. Because some of the best contextualizers are the people of peace, the God-prepared people in that community already. We need to know a certain amount to connect with those bridge people, but it's those who will do the best job with the word and the spirit of contextualizing. So all of the the fruit of that gospel expansion is it's going to touch society or it'll touch uh, the whole world of ideas and all of these things. That is a fruit of the gospel. It's not the gospel. We talk about it's going to transform our city. So like in the New Testament, it'll transform your city into a riot. There's no guarantee that you're going to transform your city. The pattern in Scripture is there's going to be conflict and you might get run out of your city. But you're going to go after gospel, disciples, forming communities of disciples. And if God blesses, and there are moments in history where it does get to transform, most of the people around the world right now, where the gospel's advancing they 're just trying to stay alive <laughs> yeah. you know and love their neighbor and love their local community they're, they're not in that sense you've got to be careful because of the heritage here in the u s it's appropriate to apply the gospel to these major social issues, but you've got to understand at the heart of this thing well, look at what Jesus did, what he trained the twelve to do what the risen Lord does in the book of Acts and the epistles, and make sure that that gospel advance, those new disciples and new churches are at the core of what you're doing, or you'll lose social transformation.
2: If you could go into a time machine and talk to yourself in the past, what advice would you give him? He is good, and
1: whatever price you need to pay, pay it. If you find... That you're, you're struggling in the midst of a, a church fight that's, that's challenging your identity as a man. Yeah. Uh, or if you find yourself struggling in a life crisis, for me, it was depression and not understanding why is this happening. True north is the goodness of God and taking the, the step, even in weakness and brokenness of obedience, yeah. of faith and knowing one day this will make sense. And meanwhile, in my weakest and, and, and hardest moments, if I will surrender to his love and to whatever's happening here, deep, deep changes is, is going on in my very being that will be a blessing for me and my family and my, my lovely wife and the people around me for years to come. So, you know, you have these light and momentary Uh, you know challenges and crises and problems you know they are meant God is going to turn them
2: around for good Steve Addison leads Move a mission agency dedicated to multiplying disciples and churches everywhere he's the author of three books on movements movements that change the world what Jesus started and pioneering movements you can follow Steve on twitter at movementsnet that's movements.net. His website is movements.net. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The calling is produced by Cray Allred. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0.